Hello, and welcome to Explore, the official University of Exeter podcast. I'm Rebecca from the Student Commons team, and today I'll be speaking to Sunday Blake, president of the Students Guild in Exeter. I'll be asking about working during COVID-19, her role supporting students, and what people might not expect about her day-to-day working life. Hi Sunday, thank you for joining me today. I know that many listeners will know who you are already, but would you mind introducing yourself and your role for anyone who doesn't? Yeah, so I'm the president of the Students Guild, um, which basically is um, a member-led organisation, a democratic organisation, and I am elected to represent student interests to the university, um, making sure that student input and student voice is considered in any sort of major decision-making, as well as sort of lobbying if we think that a decision is going to be you know against student interests as well so yeah thank you that's really interesting to understand so you mentioned that supporting students is one of the main aspects of your role so how does this influence your priorities as guild president so i think that you know everything comes back to sort of like success and well-being so I want people to come to this university and be as well and happy and healthy as they possibly could be while they're here but also be as successful as they can possibly be Um, and that that links back to so many different things so things like you know housing is something that I've worked on really hard this term trying to get um, really good communication between students the council landlords trying to iron out difficulties people have because housing is something that you know you can't there's this phrase which is you can't get well if your environment's making you sick and you know if you're in a bad house you're not it's not even if it's just you know unpleasant or noisy or something it's gonna it's gonna have an impact on your mental health that impact on your mental health you know, that can impact your grades, that can impact your student progression, that can impact your graduate employability. So everything's really sort of linked um, together, even things like sexual harassment, access to the library, so many different things that can have an impact on how well a student feels whilst they're here, and as well as their graduate opportunities and sort of graduate prospects. So it's a huge like I feel like I deal with maybe 20 different issues in one day but the main sort of core issue and the thing that I'm working hard to protect is is student well-being and outcomes. Yeah of course so would you say that your passion for student well-being influenced your decision to run for president? Um, so one of the things that made me apply is I I never like if I had spoken to someone two years ago and someone said to me, oh, you're going to be president of Student Scale, I would have said there's no way that will happen, like ever at all. Um, I mean, things come up on my Facebook memories and I think you had no idea <laughs> what you were about to do. Um, I originally ran as vice president postgrad and obviously that, I did that role for a year. Um, and then when I was in that role, I felt like I had a real insight into things that you know processes and things that were in place that I felt were not benefiting students and not serving students as well as they could be um so I kind of felt well I think that I'm the best person to run for president because I've had this insight and 
it was really difficult as well because I knew that um, if I'd run for postgrad, VP postgrad, like at the at the time of the election, no one else had put themselves forward, so I would have got it by default. Um, whereas I knew that eight people were running for president at the time of nominations, and I had to sort of think, do I want to just put myself for vice president postgrad and know that I'll get the job, or do I want to do what I really feel is the right thing to do, um, which you know the role that I can have the better impact in. Um, so eventually I was like, right, I'm just gonna cut, you know, I'm just gonna take my chance and go for it. Um, and obviously it paid off. <laughs> um, and I do think, I do think that, you know, the Lord's timing is always right. And I became president in a year that we absolutely needed someone who had that continuity from last year, um, particularly given that our about, oh, I'd say two weeks before lockdown happened, our CEO handed in his resignation. So we lost our CEO just as this pandemic was starting um, and we didn't hire a new CEO for six months. So we basically were the officers, you know, like, <laughs> like basically like leading the ship forward. And I often think actually it was, it was good that this happened because you know, it it had that sort of sense of continuity and stability in a time that was incredibly unstable. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting because um, I wanted to ask you about your transition as I think it's quite unusual to go from VP postgraduate to Guild president. Um, so how was it making this transition, particularly during COVID? I think the thing with this role is that it's incredibly exhausting and, you know, most people get to the end of the year and they're so, so tired. They don't want to do another year. I mean, I spoke to the last president um, and a couple of the other postgrads from, not postgrads, sorry, vice presidents from um, 2018 and 2019 year. And I said to them, why, you know, why don't you run again? What's what stops you running? And they said, um, you'll see by the end of the year, you'll know why people don't run again. Um, my problem is that I can't let things go like if something's not right I'm like no I need to fix this um and I just to be honest like I just I think I just like fell in love with like the student movement it's such an inspiring place to be and you know it's people at the beginning of careers or you know the beginning of the career change and it's just such a inspiring and rewarding place to be that I, I wanted to be part of that for longer. <laughs> um, also, I've got a very unhealthy caffeine habit. So I think where other people got tired, I could <laughs> keep going. Um, the transition was okay. It was all done online um, from my bedroom. Um, Patrick did the handover notes fine. I think that, you know, it, it was easier than other years again because I knew everything. I knew all the staff. I knew all the people. I didn't need those introductions. And I know that... Ruby who's our VP welfare I know she started this year and she did say she found it quite difficult because she had to do all her inductions at home um whereas I knew people and you know knew how everything worked um so yeah I would again I would say it's just very lucky that this happened this year rather than sort of next year when the student body will be getting a whole new cohort of officers um next year and I think 
yeah, I think it was good that we that didn't happen this year, basically. Yeah, like you say, having previous experience can only be helpful in such an unusual and challenging term. So how did your experience of working with the Guild last year influence your work in Term 1 this year? Yeah, I mean, I already had a really good relationship with senior management. Um, you know, they didn't intimidate me, they didn't scare me. And I know that a lot of past officers have said, you know, it takes like two, three months to get past that kind of initial like, oh, it's the university and they're adults. <laughs> um, but I didn't have that. You know, I'd been speaking to them for a year and was on very good terms with my I knew how they worked. Um, I know, you know, what their um I know what their goals are for the institution. I know, you know, where we have similar like um we have similar beliefs and we have similar priorities and stuff like that. So it was good for me because it was like, okay, well, when I've got an issue, I know which member of staff I need to go to that I can talk to about this, who will listen to me and take those concerns into consideration. Um, if this had happened last year, I don't know what I would be doing at all. I don't know who I'd go to. I don't know, you know, when students were messaging me saying this, this has come up, I was like, okay, I know exactly who can fix this. Whereas this time last year, I was like, okay, let me try and find out the best person to speak to, that sort of thing. In the pandemic, you know, students, they were needing answers immediately. So that was really, really helpful. I think the other thing that a lot of people sort of forget is that not only have we been going through a pandemic, but like all the normal, like all the normal crises that come up have been coming up as well. So, you know, like kind of controversial issues that have come up, um, issues around free speech and sexual harassment and on top of this um I had to hire a CEO which I've never done before (laughs) um so doing an entire CEO recruitment drive on top of managing a pandemic um on top of selling our shop and student bar and negotiating you know half a million pound extra on our block grant which is you know I I had no experience in financial negotiations or like commercial transfers so it's like there's the pandemic but the pandemic is like on top of other things that are just like incredibly bizarre and unusual for a student president to be going through um and it can be quite difficult sometimes as I think that people think that all the work that I've done is on the pandemic when actually there's a lot of other work <laughs> that's been going on um, as well. Um, so yeah, there's there's been a lot. I mean, I don't regret it at all. Like I like I said, it's it is stressful and exhausting, but I absolutely love being here. Well, like you say, it sounds like it was good timing and having good working relationships, which you could already start the year with. Um, you mentioned pressing issues which might get less attention due to COVID. Can you go into a little bit of detail about um, what these kinds of issues might be? Um, yeah, so I mean, I have I've got a lot of <laughs> a lot of priorities. Um, I mean, we obviously the university we've been we've been talking to the university about um, class and race um, and in admissions. You know, we've got the sort of lowest percentage of state school students here. Like, why is that? Like, what what's stopping students coming? Is it the selection of subjects we offer? Is it our location? Is it because train fares are very expensive to the south? You know, what is it that's that's happening there because I think that the thing with widening participation and a diverse student body is that it's not just the institution being altruistic to those students and saying oh you know come and study with us 
those students make us a better institution because they bring insight and knowledge and experience and you know life life experiences from different sort of um, walks of life and it helps the university as well as those students and um, so really working quite close with the university to understand why we we get the demographic makeup that we have you know we're 85 percent white as well why why is that um, and you know there's lots of reasons that I could go into <laughs> um, but again a lot of this is speculation until we get in the sort of the concrete research and data to, to you know that we can develop these points with so working really hard doing to do that also looking at things like retention rates you know what demographics of students are the ones who are dropping out what demographics are the students who are getting lower grades the incredible statistic that i found actually was about how a white uh, privately educated student with a 2-2 will on average earn more than a black working class student with a first um, in their graduate employability, in their graduate prospects. And that's, you know, why is that happening? Are we not providing the networking opportunities for students who don't have them in their personal lives? Are we not providing, you know, are we not making contacts for them in the industries they want to go into? Like, what is it that is creating these barriers for students being able to, um, you know, be as successful as they can personally be? Um, so I'm really interested in that. I'm also, I also think that Exeter is miles and miles behind in how we're dealing with sexual harassment. Now, I have um, managed to get a kind of review going into sexual misconduct policies, especially within the Guild. I don't think the Guild's very good at the minute. I think we're quite far behind sort of where we should be, um, especially when you think of things like Me Too. Student unions typically are the you know, these are the organisations that are driving social change and are ahead of the curve. And we're really behind on this one. And I don't think it's acceptable at all. So um, doing some work with some external organisations on how we can better support victims, be better allies to survivors, like all this sort of thing. Um, because it's the thing with sexual harassment is you know the assumption would be like oh well every, a lot of stuff's happening online now so you know sexual assault should go down it's not true at all what what's actually happened is we've seen an influx of online sexual harassment happening um so it's you know the pan you'd think that some of these issues the pandemic would sort of put to the side for a time that actually they they just get worse it's the same with um drugs and alcohol consumption you know you think oh if people aren't going out they're not going to be drinking or taking drugs as much actually that's not true students um according to some research have been um taking more drugs and drinking more because um obviously in a bar you've got bar staff who can um you know intervene or you you know if a student's taking drugs and they overdose there are members of the public or in the in wherever they are who can call an ambulance when they're attending like a zoom party in their flat and they overdose no one's going to know about it they're just they'll just go offline um so you know the, the social problems that we were dealing with last year that i wanted to talk about they've actually escalated this year um so and that's that's an urgent piece of work that's you know that's not something that i'm sort of like oh well i'll come around to that that's that's something that i'm sort of bringing up in every single meeting and saying okay what are we doing about drug consumption what are we doing about sexual harassment and um, because we we um we can't afford to lose a student really that's that's the worst possible thing that could happen um and that's 
ultimately what I'd, what I'd want to start happening. Yeah, of course. Um, so in light of all the things that you've been focusing on, which I know must be quite a wide variety, um, what are your hopes for term two if we hopefully start to see the pressure of the pandemic begin to ease slightly? Um, so my main thing is to um, get student activity up and running again, um, letting societies do it. Well, I think that students have been really infanticized and patronized this term by being told that they can't, they're not trusted to run society events in a COVID secure way. I think, you know, these are adults who, you know, I think the other thing is that, you know, we've got societies who've got three or four members and they're allowed to meet as a group of six, but then they're allowed to meet as a society. Like it doesn't make any sense. The blanket ban on society and person events is just so unfair. Like we've got a tier system in the country because the government acknowledges that different areas have different risks, but we don't have like a tier system for societies or something. Like it's really, really unfair. And I think that I know that the university have a lot of um like they've got pressure from people like Public Health England to be demonstrating that they're, you know, taking the virus control very seriously. But my concern is the the um, health and well-being of students that comes up alongside COVID. So yeah, students aren't spreading COVID, but what about anxiety, loneliness, drinking, drug taking in on their own, like all of these these things that are coming up and you know, we in the Guild are trained in COVID secure events. Like there's no reason why students can't have an event and it can have a member of staff checking in to see if it's COVID secure. That's a hundred percent safer than people just going, okay, well, we'll have a house party then of 60 people. Like it it can be done. And we're in conversations with the university now to be like, look, like it this can't go on further. I know that. 20% of state educated uh, or disabled students want to drop out. I mean, that number, that's one in five. That's not, that's no way near be that figure at all. Um, and then if you include other students, it goes down to 13%, but that's still 13%. That's still like one or two in 10 <laughs> students. Um, and when we've looked, there's some, um, there's some research done by an organization called Trenderance and they've basically found that of all the students they surveyed who are considering dropping out the one thing that came up time and time again was that they wanted human interaction um, and that was the thing that they felt would help them so you know we this this sort of last week of term we are spending all our meetings in the university just putting forward this evidence putting forward these data proving that the guild and societies are responsible you know they're not gonna have a, a society event where they've got 50 people in a room and they're all sat next to each other like it, it I, I don't think that's going to happen like it does upset me when I think when people say that about students because I think that's really insulting to, to suggest that just because someone happens to be a student at the University of Exeter it means that they're less responsible than the rest of the rest of society that that doesn't make any sense at all um i'd also say as well that in the 1986 education act um a student union is is read is you know defined as for the purpose of education and the covid lockdown guidance said that if an event is for the purpose of education it can go forward so it doesn't it doesn't sort of mirror the education act at all like it doesn't legislatively it doesn't make sense um, 
so yeah, I really, I'm really keen to get activity back up just because of the you know, academic benefits, people being able to do group work and um, the well-being benefits and also, you know, reaching all those students who are currently not getting the extracurricular stuff that can help them with employability, that can help them with developing skills, you know, that's, that's really unfair. So that's my, all the things around it I'm working on too, but that's the core thing. I'm like, I, we have to get this back up again. Yeah. So you mentioned that students have struggled, may have struggled feeling isolated. How have the Students Guild been trying to reach out and engage with students when this hasn't always been possible in person? Yeah. So, um, we obviously like we've upped our social media um presence and events and stuff like that as much as possible um sending out sort of like weekly emails but the the other thing that we well actually Liv managed to do this um she managed to secure fifteen thousand pound grant from the university to set up a sort of like call center um, and it was really great because we, the, the people who were in the call centre were students as well. Um, and basically they've been calling up students on their mobiles because we know that uh, they can opt out as well, by the way. <laughs> You'll say, no, don't call me again. But, um, you know, we know that some people go, well, actually, social media is really bad for my mental health. And I take social media breaks when my mental health is bad. So how do we reach those students if they're not checking their emails on social media? So we've got this phone system going in and it's just, it's literally just having a, having a chat with someone. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is that, you know, we can say to people like, Oh, go to wellbeing and have a six week waiting list and all this kind of thing. But really we need to be talking to people now and chatting to people now. Um, so yeah, we've been reaching out that way. And then the other thing that I've been trying to do as much as possible is, um, basically come come into work every day um, which has been really difficult after like seven months off <laughs> like I mean I think I forgot how to get myself dressed in the morning honestly um but coming in and being like visibly on campus and like because students are working in Devonshire House and it's so it's honestly so nice to actually see students again um but really trying to be present and the other literally yesterday someone actually came into the office to ask a question and I was like Oh my god! Is this like is it like 2019 again? <laughs> um, so that was really nice. Um, so yeah, trying to trying to be in trying to reach students where they are as well. Like if students want to talk to me on overheard, I'm gonna talk to them on overheard. If they want to talk to me in my emails and be more formal, I'm gonna talk to them in my emails and be more formal. Just being really flexible and thinking like, what's the best way for this student to contact me I'm going to make myself available in that way if that makes sense yeah it's interesting that you kind of talk about different channels um because I wanted to ask I know you're using a lot of different channels to try and communicate with students at the moment but do you think that there's anything that people might be surprised to know about your role that they maybe don't already yeah I think that I think the sheer amount of like everyday admin that I have to do is is quite surprising like I I get quite frustrated because of the the levels of procedure and confidentiality and sometimes I'm working well I mean there are a lot of things I'm working on that's so exciting and I want to be able to be like guys look I'm doing this really exciting thing but I can't actually say it because it's like confidential and um, I, I would say like the sheer amount of work that has to be done is always surprising because I feel like you know, I'll do like a 60 hour work week and then I'll get to the end of the week and be like oh yeah I should update social media and what I've done this week and I'll look at my list and be like Oh, I can only really 
say one thing <laughs> um, and that is really frustrating I think one of the things so I'm the weirdest officer in the world because I loved shadow council so shadow council is basically a scrutiny panel that would meet us every two weeks uh, last year and they would basically criticize everything that you've done for the last two weeks and a lot of officers hate it but I actually loved it because I felt that it focused me and it was like no do you know what if I'm doing a bad job I want these students to come and tell me that I'm doing a bad job um but it was also it gave me a time to present what I was doing and really talk about what I'm doing in detail and talk about you know well here's a piece of research that I came across here's the way that I applied it to the campus this you know these are the people that I've spoken to about implementing it that sort of thing um Whereas I think that there's so much pressure as an officer to be like very kind of showy and like spectacular and be like, look at this fantastic event that I've pulled off. But actually, like, I think the real change making work is that nitty policy kind of documents and stuff that we're, do that we're doing. Um, again, which because it's policy, I can't talk about it until it's passed and policy takes a while to pass. Um, but yeah, I think people would be surprised at how administrative it is and how how much it's, you know, going over incredibly dense documents of policy and finding the, you know, two sentence clause that I can use to help students liberate in one area or something. Um, so, yeah, it's it's yeah, that that. I would say is surprising and um, I'd also say I think people I mean I've been a bit more vocal about it this year but like how much I work with the government as well and um, it was never really something we did last year but like when the pandemic hit I was like why are the government not speaking to student leaders about this and I basically would turn up to like APPGs and town hall events and would write to the MPs and stuff and basically shouldered my way <laughs> into like parliamentary hearings because I was like no they're gonna listen to us um so that took a few weeks that took like a few weeks of me just like being like you need to listen to us and eventually they were like okay we're gonna invite you to like this meeting um but yeah, I think that, again, it's so frustrating because it's like, it's all confidential as well. Um, I'm hoping at the end of the year, I can do a bit of a roundup and shout about things a bit more. But you have to be really patient and be like, okay, it's fine. Like, it'll come to light that you have done good work, but you have to like be patient <laughs> before you can <laughs> say anything. But yeah. Yeah, we will find out eventually. Yeah, you just, yeah, you just have to sort of be like, trust the process, it's gonna, you know, it'll be fine. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful, um, particularly to help students understand the different roles in the Students Guild. Because um, with the Guild elections coming up in February, I just wanted to ask you what advice would you give to students who are thinking of running, um, particularly those from underrepresented backgrounds or groups? Um, I would say, like, seek out, I would say find yourself like a good mentor, like someone who gets it and understands the system and stuff like that, and you can talk to. Um, I would say you have to really want it, like, this job is hard. And if you don't really, really care about it, you're not going to do well, because it, it is just so hard. Um, like, I, I think I just run on like, willpower alone some days um and I think that you know if you don't if your heart's not in it it's gonna you're gonna crumble um I, I would say 
get really knowledgeable like use your time now to learn about not just Exeter but learn about the sector like what trends are happening across universities is this an Exeter problem because I think a lot of my energy well obviously I'm dealing with Exeter policy here but like I spend like several hours a day looking at national policy because I know that if I can if I can like change national policy that's going to help students at Exeter you know after I've left you know like because I could sort of come and do some events and spend the year doing that but like once I leave whoever comes in next like they'll have to do their own thing whereas if I can like change things on a national scene that's that's going to help me basically and it's going to help me win get wins at Exeter um so I would definitely encourage students to you know look at what's happening even even if you look at what's happening across like the world like if you look into the, the states you know the free speech arguments and debates that are happening in the states and how you know the rise of social media and um student debates going online into zoom calls have internationalized that conversation you know it's not just uh it's not just someone trying to book a controversial speaker in the corner of a campus somewhere and maybe campus security will you know put, put a few people on it's it's an international thing now like we get student events people signing in to watch them all over the world so look at academia and higher education in an international context as well and I think yeah student unions have changed and developed so much that you're you are looking at that global stage especially with a pandemic you're definitely looking at a global stage so um take your time to look at what's going on nationally globally but also locally um when you're writing your manifesto you know think really realistically like I when I did my manifesto I I was really torn because I was like should I put should I put like a really populist like fun manifesto point in that I know would get me elected um and I didn't in the end so I did a very policy and strategy based manifesto and I didn't you know I didn't know if it was going to go but people liked it and I think that 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 demonstrates a change in the student population that students aren't looking for that sort of bells and whistles novelty experience anymore they're they're paying phenomenal amounts their education the graduate market is incredibly competitive and they want someone who can who can represent them and represent their interests in that respect so I would yeah my advice is stay away from the kind of like you know that kind of um novelty like pledges and really consider the historic context of the student movement and you know where higher education is going at the moment and think how how is that going to impact students at Exeter and how can I tweak things in our current system that will make make students you know better healthier and have better prospects um, that's my advice that I would give. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think that's really good advice. Um, so just to finish, I know it can be really challenging working during a pandemic. I just wanted to ask, do you have a favourite memory of working with Students Guild and students at the University of Exeter? Um, I think for me, like, there's a couple. Um, is My favourite memory has been basically when when I open my email and there's a student in my inbox who's seen something that's wrong whether it's um sustainability or period poverty or um 
drug consumption or something parent study space like there are so many times that she, I literally get in goosebumps as I talk about this but it's just students who come to me and say this is a problem and I want I've got an idea and I think it's going to make things better like there's something so special about students like that who who just like just have like so much life in them to make things better even students who are like they're in their last year and this change isn't going to impact impact them at all but they're they're here and they're trying to make things better for everyone and like there's just honestly sometimes I go home when I've had emails like that about a student who's come to me with a problem and you know an idea or a funding fundraising thing or something in the community they want to get involved with and it, it honestly like just, if I've had a bad day having an email like that just like makes me feel like so happy and I'm just like oh I love students so much <laughs> um so yeah I'd say there's not one memory but that's that's one of the my favorite things about um about doing doing this job is, is like students being change makers yeah no that's really lovely to hear um thank you for joining me today it's been really nice to speak to you hey thank you for having me <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Explore. If you want to learn more about the Students Guild in Exeter, you can check out their website. And as always, if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, you can email us at studentcoms at exeter.ac.uk. Thank you for listening.